glory to God. It was an incredible day last Sunday, as you saw there on the video. And I'm telling you, God has something special in store for us today. Who's glad to be in church today? I want to welcome all the Liberty family at Hampton and Harborview and Greenbrier at York River, Smithville, and Gloucester. Those who have met in the chapel, you're watching online. And to the men and women in the correctional facilities around Hampton Roads and in Richmond, I want you to know we love you. We're praying for you. Come on, church family. Put your hands together and welcome all the family at all of our locations and our guests. We're continuing with the series today, Are You Ready? And God changed the sermon. I really thought that I would be going to John uh, and the book of Revelation today, but I couldn't get past the book of Jude. So I want you to turn and go to the next to the last book of the Bible. Everybody say next Sunday. Next Sunday we'll be at Revelation. Today we're going to look at Jude. While you're finding that, let me tell you, uh, last week we saw 231 decisions, and of that, 190 people followed in believers' baptism. Give Jesus all the praise. Amen. And I want you to know the Bible continues because we've had people calling all week wanting to be baptized and people uh, driving in to be baptized and people scheduled for today. And I believe some of you, uh, God uh, is going to touch your heart today and you're going to take your next step. But I want you to uh, follow along in Jude now, end times according to Jude, and we'll pray and we'll get started. Father, thank you for what you did last Sunday, but we need a fresh touch today. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd fill me with the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit who anointed the prophets and the apostles would anoint me now to preach the message of the prophets and the apostles and give the people ears to hear, and I pray that lives will be changed today for the glory of God. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. End times according to Jude. I couldn't get over this because one of the most surprising and unknown references to the Lord's coming, the Lord's return, is found in the time of Genesis. But even though it took place in the time of the first book of the Bible, Genesis, it is recorded and next to the last book of the Bible, the book of Jude. Enoch predicted Christ's return in the last days. And we read about it in Jude. I'm starting at verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who are called, loved by God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. First of all, I want you to know that Jude grew up in the household, in the same home with Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. Now, how would you like to have Jesus as your older brother? Uh, to, to, to have a perfect sibling in the house. And um, he says here, I'm the brother of James. And if you've been following along in the one-year Bible, we read just this week in Mark 6, 3, about the brothers of Jesus, James and Jude. And yet he doesn't call himself the brother of Jesus. He says, I'm the brother of James, and I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. Now, if I had written that verse, let me tell you how I'd write it. Jude, the favorite brother of Jesus Christ. That's what I would have written. And you would have too. But he calls himself a servant. And I want you to get this now. It's because... 
Being a brother of Jesus won't get you to heaven. Being a believer in Jesus is what gets you to heaven. You see, privilege, being born into a Christian home doesn't get you to heaven. You can be born into the household of Jesus himself, and it won't get you to heaven. No, it's only your faith and belief. And he says, I'm the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the brothers of Jesus, Jude and James, they ended up in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, in the upper room. They did not believe in Jesus as the Messiah or the Son of God until after the resurrection. And in the upper room, they were continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and everybody say it, his brothers. 1 Corinthians 9, 5, they became leaders in the early church. Don't we have the right, Paul said, to be accompanied by a believing wife like the other apostles, the Lord's brothers and Cephas? And of course, that is Peter. And so I want you to get this now, that he is writing so that what? That this, let me get back there. So that mercy and peace and love that he's found in Jesus will be multiplied to you. In fact, he loves these triplets, and you see them all throughout this little postcard, this little letter. He talks about mercy, peace, and love, three things. He said, you are called, you are loved, and you are kept. And I I just want to really uh, dig a little deeper there and not just read over that. I want you to know, if you know God, it's because you are called. The same God who called Abraham and Isaac and Jacob called you. And Jesus said, you've not chosen me, I have chosen you. And no one comes unless the Father calls them, draws them, the Bible says. But not only are we called, we're loved. We love him because he first loved us. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make him love you less. He just loves us with an everlasting love. And as much as you love your children or grandchildren, how much more God loves you. We are called, we are loved, and we're kept. You see, it's not a matter of you holding on to God. God's holding on to you. He's got you in the palm of his hand. And he said, so I want this mercy and Peace and love be multiplied to you. I want you to see it here in verse 3. Dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about this salvation that we share. Jude says, I'm not saved because I'm the half-brother of Jesus. No. He says, I share the same salvation that you do. Salvation that we share together. He says, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend. Everybody say contend. Contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once and for all. For some people who were designated for this judgment long ago have come in by stealth. That means by secret. See, false teachers never go to the front door of the church and say, we're here. We're false teachers and we're bringing heresy to your church. They they never announce that. They secretly come in. They're ungodly. They turn the grace of our God into sensuality and deny Jesus Christ, our only master and Lord. And so we see here, he said, you need to contend. You need to contend. Contend has the idea uh, that you are holding on to the truth of God's word. Uh, let, Let me tell you, the enemy comes in secretly. If the devil can't stop the church, he'll join it. If he can't stop the revival, he'll join it. If he can't stop the prayer meeting, the devil will join it. 
And uh, I'm amazed at how the enemy uh, just continues to try to uh, make his way into the church. You see, the church will not fail because of attacks without. It's apostasy within. The danger, the greatest threat to the church is not the culture around us. It's compromise within us. And, and so look at this. In Psalm 11:3, when the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Let me tell you what happens. Uh, apostasy is when you want to bend the Bible to say what you want it to say. You bend the Bible to not say what you don't want it to say. And I'm telling you, the foundations all around us are being destroyed. Marriage, family, the deconstruction of Scripture, the deconstruction of the faith. And he tells us here, contend for it. In fact, when you see Christians and churches denying the Bible, changing the Bible. It's just fulfillment of what uh, John and Jude said would happen in the last days, that there would be this falling away or apostasy. Now, contend, everybody say contend, does not mean be contentious. There is a difference. It doesn't mean get on social media and argue with everybody about the Bible. That's not going to win one person to Christ. All right? I'm amazed at how many people are attacking on social media the Asbury Revival, and they'll use this verse in the book of Jude, we're contending for the faith, and, and they start attacking this revival. Well, let's talk about the revival for a moment, all right? First of all, people are praying. The only, body, the only person that gets prayer is the devil. Uh, they are not only praying, but they are what? Worshiping Jesus, exalted the name of Jesus. The only one who hates worship of Jesus is the devil. And revival's breaking out. They're repenting and confessing. The only one who's against that is the devil. And so I'm just telling you, I'd be careful about calling uh, this revival that's taking place uh, at Asbury and spreading to other colleges uh, not of God or of the devil. No, no, that's not what it means when it says contend for the faith. Contend for the faith means this, that you love this book, you listen to this book, and you live it. You love the Word of God, you listen to the Word of God, and you live it. Uh, he calls it the once and for all faith. Hebrews, the writer there, said Jesus is the once and for all sacrifice for sin. Jesus took our place. Jesus is our substitute. He took the wrath of God because God's holy and cannot condone sin. Jesus took the wrath that we deserve. Now, Spurgeon said it like this. Christ standing in the place of man. I deserve to be lost forever. The only reason why I should not be damned is this, that Christ was punished in my place. And there's no reason to execute a sentence twice for sin. Jesus took our place. And that faith has been delivered to us, that Jesus is the once and for all sacrifice for sin. And, and, and so you think about that delivery. You can get anything delivered to your house today. Walmart will deliver your groceries. Walgreens will deliver your medicine. I mean, FedEx, UPS, United States Post Office, Amazon, they deliver and you know what? Uh, my wife, Miss Tammy, she had a brain tumor in 05. 80% they removed surgically. 20% she lives with, 
and uh, they treated it with gamma knife. And so she literally can hear her heartbeat in her head. It makes a swishing sound where she had that surgery. And so at night, we have to have some noise. So we started watching television just for the noise. We listened to QVC. QVC, it's monotone. I care nothing about it. And I go to sleep just like that. Now, some of them I can go to sleep listening to better than others, okay? But uh, it's amazing. We go to sleep listening to the noise, and the next morning you wake up and packages are delivered at your front door. I mean, it's a miracle. <laughs> when we went uh, back in November on our thankful tour, we went to Valdosta, Georgia, and someone there in Valdosta uh, gave us some Mayhall jelly. I'm holding the last jar right here in my hand. Uh, this is a southern delicacy. Some of you have never had or heard of Mayhall jelly. I'll tell you why. Because you have to wait out into the swamps of South Georgia and Florida or Louisiana to get to those berries. And so they risk getting out with the alligators and water moccasins, and they either get in a little canoe or boat, or they wear waders, and they go out there, and I've had the man to tell me, you're reaching, trying to get those beautiful berries over there, and you'll see a snake. Water, uh, alligators over on the bank of the water. They paid a high price for me to enjoy this jelly. And I want you to know, I was leaving from Valdosta, Georgia, going to Arkansas, so I couldn't take it with me. So I shipped it back, and it was delivered on time and put in the fridge waiting on me before I got back. Now, why is it that UPS and FedEx and Amazon and everybody else can deliver on time, but we can't get the gospel delivered on time? And the gospel is good news only if it gets there on time. All right? And I want you to see here, these people paid a high price for me to have this jelly, and it's my last jar. And security, I don't want y'all to let anything happen to this, all right? Anybody that comes toward it, take them out. <clears throat> but hear me, they risk a lot for me to have it, and I want you to know Jesus paid a high price for, the, for us to have the faith that we have. Martyrs died. To, listen, not for a faith, but for the faith. And I want you to understand that he said here, he, he said, this is the faith. Plenty of people claim to have faith, but it's not the faith of the Bible. People claim to have faith that deny the Jesus of the Bible. For example, there are those who say Jesus is just a prophet, but the Bible says he's the son of God and both can't be right. I'm saying to you that some people say Jesus is not the Messiah. Our Jewish friends say that Jesus is not the Messiah. But the Bible says he is the Messiah, and both cannot be right. There are those who say that Jesus is Michael, the archangel, or the brother of Satan. But the Bible says he is the incarnate, eternal God in the flesh. They both can't be right. There are those who say that Jesus is just one of millions and millions of gods. And yet the Bible says he is the one and only true God. They both can't be right. All roads do not lead to heaven. Let me back up here so you can see this again. He says they come in secretly, they're ungodly, and they turn the grace of God into 
sensuality. Now, Ralph Davis said this. I know some Christians have allergic reactions when they're told that you're subject to God's moral law. This, they fear, is legalism and an effort at salvation by works. But that fear misunderstands the function of the law. The law comes in context of grace. Listen, Yahweh lays down the pattern in Exodus. He delivers his people, then he demands. He works redemption, then he sets down requirements. He set Israel free and then tells them how that freedom can be enjoyed and maintained. So glad obedience to God's moral law is simply our logical act of worship. And, and so they turn the grace of God into what I call cheap grace. Bonhoeffer said this, cheap grace is the deadly enemy of the church and we're fighting today for a costly grace. Jesus paid a high price for us to be able to experience grace. And cheap grace says this, I've heard it for years. Well, God just loves me the way I am. Well, yes, he loves you the way that you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. People, cheap grace says this, it's okay to not be okay. That's true. It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. Jesus changes us. Alistair Begg said this, Jesus is Lord, all right? If he's master and Lord, and the reason they turn grace into sensuality is they don't want a master and they don't want a Lord who will tell them right from wrong. And, and so Alistair Begg said this, Jesus is Lord means you do not have the right to re-engineer human sexuality or redefine human marriage. You're not free to believe what you want to believe or behave the way you want to behave. Here's what I would tell you. You will either bring your morality in line with the Bible or you'll bring the Bible in line with your immorality. And that's where we live. And so I want you to see four things here. Number one, write it down. He gives us a past illustration. Here it is. Now I want to remind you, although you came to know all these things once and for all, that Jesus saved the people out of Egypt and later destroyed those who did not believe. That's the first example. He, he loves these threes. He's going to give you three here. And so he gives us the example of Israel. They were delivered from bondage out of Egypt only to rebel and die in the chains of unbelief. And then he says, and the angels who did not keep their own position but abandoned their proper dwelling. He has kept in eternal chains in deep darkness for the judgment on the great day. The second example here, uh, the, the demons are fallen angels. And there are two categories of those. Ephesians 6 says there are those who were cast out uh, to the atmosphere of the earth and they roam to and fro and they carry out uh, the, uh, the command or uh, the instructions of the devil, of Satan, of Lucifer. But some, according to 2 Peter 2, 4, were chained in hell, reserved for judgment. And so he says here, uh, these angels rebelled, seeking freedom. They ended up finding eternal chains. And then he gives the example, the third one, of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he says, the surrounding towns committed sexual immorality and perversions and serve as an example by undergoing the punishment of what? of eternal, eternal fire here. And so Sodom and Gomorrah rebelled against God's natural order and, and we see that they too found themselves in chains, eternal chains. And, and so Billy Graham said years ago, 
If God does not judge America, he will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Don't amen that. Stop. Because we shouldn't be excited about that. We ought to be grieved over that. I I know exactly what he was saying. That if we don't repent, judgment will come on us. And and here's what I want to add to what he said. I think what he said is right, but I want to add to it two things. Number one, God is God. And he doesn't have to apologize to anybody because he's never made a mistake. And number two, God has chosen through repentance. Listen, through repentance to change or reverse the consequences brought about by sin. Now, that's good news. He said to Nineveh, if you'll repent, I won't bring this judgment on you. And they repented, and he didn't bring judgment. I read to you last week, any nation that will repent, God will relent. He'll change his mind and not bring the consequences of sin onto them. This is good news today that God has chosen through repentance to change the effect of sin. Look at verse 8. In the same way these people relying on their dreams defile the flesh, reject authority, and slander glorious ones. Now hear me. Nine times out of ten, when somebody walks away from their marriage, they don't walk away from something to nothing. Nine times out of ten. There's an exception here and there. But most of the time, if they leave their spouse, they've already got their eye on somebody else. People don't walk away from reading their Bible. They don't walk away from Jesus to nothing. They walk away from reading their Bible. They walk away from Jesus. They walk away from the church, leave the church, because they want to live in sin. And that's exactly what Jude is talking about here. Look at it. Verse 9, yet when Michael the archangel was disputing with the devil in an argument about Moses' body, uh, God buried Moses. He didn't let the children of Israel know where the body was buried because if they uh, had known it, they'd build a shrine there today. But the devil knew where he was buried because the devil knows more than us. All right? And it says right here that the devil got in a dispute with Michael, but in the process, look at this, Michael did not dare utter a slanderous condemnation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now hear me. You need to use your spiritual weapons, but you use them knowing you're no match for the devil. It's the devil's no match for Jesus. And the power's in the Lord, not in you. Draw near unto God. God will draw near unto you. Then you resist the devil. And it's in that order. The battle is the Lord's. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in this world. Our weapons are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Come on, put your hands together and praise God. And most of our services today, not all, but most of our services, we were singing this song about break every chain. And I'm telling you, when we were singing that, I just, in my spirit, I could see chains falling. Generational curse and sin being broken. Sins that your grandparents committed and your parents committed not being passed down to the children of the children's children. I'm just telling you this power in the name of Jesus. Come on, put your hands together and rejoice. The Lord rebuke you. Here it is. Verse 10. But these people blaspheme anything they do not understand and what they do 
understand by instinct, like an irrational, like irrational animals, by these things they are destroyed. And so here it is. When you live by impulse and instinct, you say anything you think or want to against God's authority. That's why I'd be fearful to be on social media or anywhere else speaking against the Asbury revival or a Jesus uh, revolution in our day and time. Let me just tell you, anywhere God's at work, the enemy will be too. And where there's real fire from heaven, there'll be some strange fire. We read about it in uh, uh, our devotions this past week. But don't let wildfire, listen, strange fire, wildfire keep you from no fire at all. You want the real thing. All right? So sure, when God's at work, the devil will be too. But that doesn't discredit what God's doing. And so here it is. Uh, God's people should not act immoral, insubordinate, or irreverent. We ought to have respect for authority. Verse 11, woe to them. That takes you back to Matthew and what Jesus said about woe to these cities that didn't repent. If Sodom and Gomorrah had heard what they heard, they would have repented. It says, woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. The way of Cain's what? Hatred and murder. The way of Cain is he didn't bring a blood sacrifice. The way of Cain is he just brought some fruit, not the first fruits. Here's the question. You know, are you giving God your best? Are you trusting in the cross and Jesus and the only way to be saved? He gives up three of them. I told you he loves these triplets. He says here, and Balaam's era for prophet. They plunged into Balaam's era. Now, Balaam was a prophet, but he was for hire. He was a prophet for profit. <laughs> Y'all will get that when you get home. But anyway, um, here's a question. Can you be bought? Uh, Balaam could be bought. Can you be bought? The world says everybody's got a price. Well, if that's true and you do have a price, then the devil will see to it somebody will pay it. If you won the lottery, if you inherited all of this uh, money, would it change you? And then he says here, and Korah's rebellion. Now, Korah, you read that in Numbers chapter 16. And God killed Korah and two other troublemakers and their families. The, the earth opened up and just swallowed them whole. Why? Because they went to Moses and Aaron and said, you take too much on yourself. We're just as holy as you are. And God killed 250 people who followed them. And then after that, the people murmured and complained that God had killed some of their friends. And so God killed another 14,700 people for complaining that he killed the others. Go read it for yourself in number 16. Here's what Warren Wiersbe said. If a false teacher can make a person critical of their pastor or their church or dissatisfied with their situation, then they can lead them astray. In false teaching. Let me tell you what false teachers do. They add, subtract, multiply, and divide. They add to the Bible. You gotta have their book. You gotta have their literature. They add to the Bible. False teachers subtract from who Jesus is. They make him a prophet, a good man, but they 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 subtract from him that he is the Son of God. They add to the Bible, they subtract from Jesus, they multiply the ways of salvation. you got to do this, 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 and this. It's a work salvation. And then finally, they divide. They divide the family of God. They divide the church with their false teaching. You're not listening fast enough. Hey, write this down. 
Not only a past illustration he gives, but a, the present situation he addresses. Look at verse 12. These people are dangerous reefs. Uh, they're like rocks out there that a ship's going to hit and, and, and run aground. He said, you're having these love feasts. And the early church had love feasts every week. It's just like your group getting together and eating. And by the way, when groups get together, they ought to eat. I heard about uh, a Sunday night, a man going to a group. And afterwards, after the Bible study, they had food and had ice cream. Now, that's the group you want to join. <laughs> and somebody offered him a bowl of ice cream. And here's what his response was. I need to be baptized. It's been on my mind since this morning. I got to be baptized. He didn't want ice cream. And, and so I thought that was so neat. Well, at the love feast here, it says, as they eat with you without reverence, all right, they are shepherds who only look after themselves. They're bringing all this food, and yet it's the haves and the have-nots, and they're not willing to share with people who didn't have any food to bring. They are waterless clouds carried about by the winds. He, he said it's like a cloud that looks like it's going to bring rain during a drought, but even though it looks like it on the outside, on the inside it's empty. It's dry. He said they're like trees in the late autumn, fruitless, twice dead and uprooted. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up shameful deeds, just bringing up trash on the shore. Or as one person said here, he said it's like they crash like waves and all they do is stir up moral filth. And then he finally says, you're like a falling star for whom the blackness of darkness is reserved forever. Uh, everybody's seen a falling star. You go out there and you see all these stars in place and all of a sudden, whoo, one's falling. And sure, there are people out there who used to believe the Bible, used to be in church, used to follow Jesus, and now they have uh, become an apostate. They've fallen away, but hear me. For every star that falls, there are millions of stars that stay in place and keep shining just like they were supposed to. You do not navigate the sea of life by watching falling stars. You navigate the sea of life by keeping your eye on that star, on the star that stays in place. All right? Don't, don't get distracted by people that fall by the wayside but rather keep your eyes on Jesus and those that are following him. And everybody said, amen. amen. Number three, then a prophetic declaration right here in verse 14. It was about these that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied saying, look, the Lord comes with tens of thousands of his holy saints. And so Adam, we know, walked with God in the cool of the day. But we also know that Adam lived 300 years after Enoch was born. That means that Adam taught Enoch how to walk with God. And the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that Enoch had this testimony, he pleased God. So Enoch walks with God, and the Bible says he was not, for God took him. It is a picture of the rapture before the judgment. And I'll talk more about that next week. But, but hear me. He preached during the days of Noah. They were both preachers of righteousness before the flood. And Enoch had a son named Methuselah who was the oldest person who ever lived because his name means when he is gone, it will come. And when he died, the flood came. You know why it took so long for him to die? Because the Lord is long-suffering. And the Lord is merciful. Now, 
Jesus said, remember back in Matthew 24, verse 37, as it was in the days of Noah. Noah and Enoch, they ministered during the same time period. As it was in the days of Noah, so it'll be when the Son of Man comes again in his glory. Look at verse 15. It says he's going to come to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly concerning the ungodly acts that they have done in an ungodly way and concerning all the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against him. These people are discontented grumblers living according to their desires. Their mouths utter arrogant words, flattering people for their own advantage. They're false teachers. They want to lead you astray. Look at how many times you use the word ungodly. Four times here and two other times in this short book. Six times. And here's what I want to tell you. God doesn't need our giftedness. He wants our godliness. We read it in the one-year Bible this morning. Be holy even as I am holy. And what the world needs is not the church's giftedness. What the world needs is to see godliness. That we're different from the world. Now, we've got something that the world does not have. One of the things I've noticed about revival is the role of worship leaders in revival. When Asbury uh, was taking place in 1970, they would send students out two by two to go to churches and other schools. And so, uh, over 500 went out in, in like two or three years. And, and this team went to a church and told the pastor before the Sunday night service, he said, God has shown up at Asbury, and he told us to come tell you he wants to show up here. And the pastor said, well, that's good. You got anything else? And they said, no, that's it. We've been obedient. And he said, well, we're about to start the service in an hour, and we've got a guest preacher and a guest singer because that's what revival looked like back in the day. You had to have a guest preacher and a guest singer. And so he said, won't you tell the people what you told us? They took four minutes in the service and said, God has shown up at Asbury, and he told us to come tell you he wants to show up here. And the pastor breathed a sigh of relief. And you only, you'd have to be a pastor to understand this. That he gave the mic to two strange students from college. And nothing weird happened. You know. And so the quartet sang. And as they began to sing after the first verse. One of the singers on the end stopped the song. And here's what he said. I'm not right with God. And I need what those two college students have. And he went to the altar. And the story goes that at 10 o'clock that night, people were still coming to the altar. Uh, I, I think about the church where I met Miss Tammy, my first church. Uh, we had a guest preacher and, and uh, group singers to come. And in that revival meeting, the preacher got up and here's what he said. He said, I think God wants us to hear the testimony of the singers and so the dad gave his testimony and the mom gave her testimony and the son gave his testimony. And the daughter-in-law who had just married into the family and could sing like Sandy Patty. You remember Sandy Patty in the day? Oh, man, she could sing. All of a sudden, here's what she said. She said, I don't have a testimony. I was raised Methodist. I was confirmed sprinkled as a, a child. I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I've never been saved. And her husband took her down the altar and led her to Jesus. And I'm telling you, revival broke out. Uh, deacons started getting saved. Drug dealers in town started getting saved. But it happened when the people leading the worship got right with God. I want you to know, we had the best uh, campus pastor meeting we've had in years this past week. You know what? Revivals come. 
Oh, there was a sweet spirit in the room. Last Sunday, we had worship leaders to leave the stage and go and get baptized. And I'm just telling you, there are people who came today with no intention to be baptized, no intention to make a decision, but God's calling you, you're going to be baptized today. You're going to go to life track today. You're going to take your next step today. We had students in the school of ministry to get baptized this week. I'm just telling you, staff members got baptized this week. And you'll notice that in revival. God doesn't need our giftedness. He just wants our obedience and our godliness. Amen? That's what he's asking for. Uh, We saw it in Peter. Look, since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it's clear what kind of people we should be in holy conduct and in godliness. And, And Paul said the same thing in 1 Timothy 6. And for sake of time, I'm going to move on to verse 17. But you, dear friends, remember what was predicted by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They told you in the end time, there'll be scoffers living according to their own ungodly desires. These people create what? Divisions. They're worldly, not having the spirit. I'm just telling you, it's no coincidence that the revival that's taking place, that took place in 1970, we believe is taking place again today, is happening in students. In students. Let me tell you where we've lost this country and we've lost a generation in the classroom. My high school teacher claimed to be an atheist, would make fun of the Bible and Jesus or any other religious book. And he talked in circles and I never learned one thing in his class. He presented himself to be brilliant. But I'm telling you students, listen, just because the professor or teacher speaks and uses words as long as my arm does not mean that they're smart, nor does it mean that what they're saying is true. You write this down. Just because the river is muddy doesn't mean it's deep. Just because the river's muddy doesn't mean that it's deep. And I'm telling you, the, of the first 100 colleges and universities in America, 88, including Harvard, was founded for the purpose of propagating the gospel. The first president of Princeton said this, Cursed be all learning that's contrary to the cross of Christ. A James S. Student said to Yale in 1952, A theologically vague and harmless Harmlessly accommodating Christianity is less than useless. You bend that book to accommodate the way you're living. You bend this book and the gospel to say what you want it to say or you don't want it to say. And I'm telling you, you have a Bible and a gospel that is useless. Uh, There's so much that I could say here. But the bottom line is this. We need... A revival, a revolution in our day, and I'm praying it'll happen with our students and this generation. Come on, put your hands together and praise God. Last thing, what's the practical application? Here it is. But you, dear friends, as you build yourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. Here's what you're to do. Practical application. Edification. Build yourself up in the faith. That means you've got to be growing. No one's arrived. 
No one's arrived. That's why revival has to come to the church first. And the result will be spiritual awakening in the world. Edification, build yourself up in the faith. Grow. And then communication, pray in the Holy Spirit. We pray to the Father in the name of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then it says, keep yourself in the love of God, waiting expectantly. That's edification, communication, and then anticipation. We're going to live in such a way that we are ready for the Lord to return. Ready for the Lord to return. Now here it is. Have mercy on those who waver. Save others by snatching them from the fire. Have mercy on others, but with fear. Hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. In other words, Fanny Crosby put it like this. Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. Snatch them in pity from sin and the grave. Weep over the the erring one and lift up the fallen. Tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. And in the process, don't you compromise. In the process of trying to win others, don't you end up letting them drag you down. We saw so many testimonies of this right here this past Sunday, and that's what I want to close with. Someone said at one of our campuses, it was one of the portable campuses, I love that. That means it was in a public school facility. Someone said the presence of God was so thick you could cut it with a knife. I love it. Somebody else said, well, really, the revival started February the 1st on a Wednesday A 95-year-old man came to one of our campuses and said, I've never been baptized. And at 95, he followed in believer's baptism. A couple living together, cohabitating, called on Monday after last Sunday, and here's what the man said. I want you to know I'm moving out today, and we're planning a date to be married. Say, only God can do that. Somebody else, listen. Two different families, two different campuses. Both had a teenager who was struggling with gender identity. And at two different locations, two different families, the student went to the altar during the invitation, went back to their parents and said, God's given me peace with who he made me to be. And they both followed in baptism. Two different campuses. A wife said, for 21 days of prayer, I prayed for my husband, They were both baptized last Sunday. Somebody else said, I haven't been able to sleep since Sunday. And they called and said, I want to be baptized on Wednesday night. Some people watching online text into the campus. Some of their family that they knew were in the service said, tell them to wait for us. We're driving there to be baptized. As some of you today are watching, you need to get to one of our locations. You need to be baptized today. Two last stories here. One, a child a few weeks ago was baptized, all right? Went to school, told his school teacher that he had been baptized and was so excited, and then asked the teacher, have you ever been baptized? And the teacher came under great conviction and came to church, went to one of our campuses, brought the family. The husband said to the campus pastor, I'm only here because of her. I don't believe all this stuff. She wanted to bring the kids. We're here. They've been coming for several weeks. Last Sunday, the husband and the wife followed in believer's baptism. But my favorite is this picture. 
they're all powerful, but you see this picture, it's a fireplace. And I got this picture, and here's the story I got with it. A couple had gone through divorce proceedings. They both had their divorce papers in hand. But last Sunday, they went to the altar. They repented. They went home. They're back together. And listen, not only did they repent and they were baptized, but that right there is the divorce papers being burned up in the fireplace. Glory to God. Glory to God. And only God can do that. And remember his plan for your life. You need to grow. Build yourself up in the faith. For some of you, that means today you need to follow in believer's baptism. It's, it's not being sprinkled as a baby. It, it's believe and be baptized. It's, it, it, it is you. Uh, Peter said, having a clear conscience toward God. You have done what you know Jesus told all of his followers to do. Some of you, to grow today, you've got to take your next step in baptism. I want you to do that. When we stand, we have the altar call. Just go and tell them, I want to be baptized today. For some, it means you're going to go to Life Track. That's the way you join the church, become part of the family. It's a free meal, all right? And we got child care provided, and it's so cold outside, you can't do anything today anyway. Some of you came, and you had no intention of being baptized, but you're going to be baptized today because God's touched your heart. Some of you had no intention of going to Life Track, joining the church, but God's touched your heart. Today is the day. Are you ready? Are you ready? Here's the excuse I know that the devil's going to put in your mind. Some of you say, but I'm not able. I'm not able to live the Christian life. I'm not able to follow through. And you're not. But he is. God is. Look at this. Last verse. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish, and with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forevermore. And everybody said, amen. Come on, put your hands together to God and stand. Everybody get up on your feet, every campus. I'm going to pray right now. The most important prayer I want to lead you in. Just get right with God. Some of you are coming to God for the first time. Some of you are coming back to God. Just bow with me. Pray this in your heart. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. But I trust in you. Jesus, you died on the cross to pay for all my sins. You rose from the dead to give me eternal life. And right now, I confess Jesus Christ is Lord. And I want to follow you the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Come on, can we rejoice with those who prayed that online? Text us, just text the word yes to 40371. You can fill out a red card, leave it at, at, at the uh, baskets when you leave the doors or go out to the Next Step Center. But here it is, we're going to sing. As soon as I pray, I want you to start coming to the altar. I want you to start coming down and say, just say, I'm here to be baptized. We've got every change of clothes. The water is warm. We're ready for you. Question is, are you willing? Are you ready? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, for what you have said today. And I pray the Holy Spirit right now would just touch hearts. That, Lord, you would give clear direction their next step. 
I pray that people will grow by going through baptism today, by going to life track today and taking their next step. God, thank you for what you did. All the miracles, all the testimonies of last Sunday, but we need a fresh touch. The moving of your Holy Spirit in this invitation. So I pray for you to do miracles, hard things, impossible things. Lord, we confess we need you. Lord, every age group, every generation, we need you. And we pray for physical healings. We pray for relationships to be restored. For people to turn from sin to God. I pray that, Lord, you will not come back and find us not baptized, not a member of the church, not serving you. But you'll come back, Jesus, and find us living for you and walking in obedience. Lord, help us to be found ready when you return. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.